At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hi, welcome to this free episode of Dunked On Prime. We're going to get the best part of this discussion, which is Nate and Danny giving and analyzing their award picks. But we also recognize that you listen to a podcast like this, it might be hard to follow every single pick. You might miss one. You might have to rewind. You might think, oh my goodness, they're they're talking about their their third choice for this. Who, who did they have second? I, I didn't catch which name they said. You know, there's a lot going on. We recognize that. That's why for Dunked On Prime subscribers, we put out text form of all these award picks. Also for Dunked On Prime subscribers, uh, we put out the stats that Nate and Danny use that they look at for each of these candidates, including some exclusive stats from Seth Partnow. So if you'd like to get that additional content and a lot more, uh, six podcasts per week, daily dunks, emails, exclusive analysis from Seth Partnow. You can get all of that by subscribing to Dunked On Prime at dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. That's dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. Hi, Mr. LaRue. The time has come again for awards. I think we're going to see some pretty significant changes here with so much time elapsed relative to what had elapsed before. I think we'll see the biggest changes at this point than when we do this two more times uh, the rest of the year. Anything that stuck out to you, or should we just get rolling here? Well, I, I think this, I it, take an acknowledgement at the beginning that for specifically when it comes to MVP, because this, the two individuals I'm going to focus on right now are still very much in the All-NBA mix. It is unfortunate that both Stephen Curry and Anthony Davis have missed a bunch of time recently because most valuable player is it, how much you play is included within that. And I focus more on it in terms of games played rather than minutes per game, because sometimes there can be, though that's still on the floor. And like as good as you can be with those two guys and the timing of our awards podcast, I think did a little bit of short trip to Davis, who would have been in my top five in the MVP, maybe even meaningfully higher than five. If we had done it, wow. I know let's let's call it middle of December, but he's out now and they, and they missed some time. And, and also the Lakers, you know, they're they're still well below 500. And so. Like for Davis and Curry, I'm my instinct is even if they come back and are relatively healthy the rest of the season, getting to like number one in number two in MVP, hopefully everyone else stays healthy might be a little bit hard. But of course, they can still be firmly in the All NBA mix, and so that sucks for them. But that's a part of what the award is. So I actually was struggling between three players for most valuable player. Uh, so, but I'll I'll let you name the two that you're going back and forth between. I, I'm pretty sure I know who who the other the guy that you don't because I have a very small margin between two and three. Like I do have it as like a sub tier, and my top two is 
Nikola Jokic and Luka Doncic in no particular order at this point. And both of them have not only a massive role within their team's offense, but also significant success offensively. And if you want to use the all-in-one metrics, estimated plus minus, Luka and Jokic are within one-tenth of one point in terms of EPM, but then if you factor in time played, because Luka has has played more minutes, then Luka has the advantage there, and Raptor loves Jokic's defense, so we'll, we'll get into that, I'm sure, at some point. But it's more the idea that both of them, to in different ways, are the focal point of their offense, and both of their offenses have been immensely successful. When Luka's been on the floor, 119.5 offensive rating now, and 123.1 for the Nuggets when Jokic is out there. The argument on why I actually had Luca much lower the first time around, actually did not even have him in my top six, was, well, this super heliocentric style, there's only just so high you can get for that in offensive rating. Well, or, or at least it wasn't happening. Not maybe that it wasn't possible, but it wasn't happening over the first month and a half of the season. However, Luca, not only has he played better, but the team has also played better. And there's so many guys putting up big stats that you really have to focus on that team component maybe more than ever before. Sure. With Luca on the floor in December, the Mavs had a 123.5 offensive rating. Pretty incredible. And getting back to the level, I think it's really been two years since we've seen crazy offensive performances by the Mavs with Luca on the floor, though his own personal statistics for a lot of that time have been very impressive. So, and much of that, of course, is Luca himself. I mean, he's had the 350 point games. He had the 60 point triple double that we talked about on yesterday's program. And the three point shooting is way, way up now. He's about league average on very, very difficult self-created attempts, taking 8.2 for 36 minutes, actually now hitting 36.7% of his threes. And the total usage is batshit insane. <laughs> we mentioned yeah. on yesterday's show. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, so one way of phrasing this is that Jokic and Doncic have very similar playmaking usage and turnover usage. So they're this is the way Seth, it's a different components within the stats. So 21.4 versus 21.6 and then identical turnovers at 4.4. Jokic, 49.6 total usage is plenty high. It's a little bit lower than some of the other guys, you know, like John Morant's higher than that, a few others. Then there's this gulf because it's those guys and then Luka is at 59.5 because his scoring usage is over 10% higher of the of all the possessions when he's on the floor than Jokic's. Yeah, and Luka now he's up to 62% true shooting as well. That 59.5 total usage, he was at 58, I think, the last time we did this. So it's it's only gone up. We thought, oh, this is an unsustainable burden. He's got to distribute it a little more. Ah, nope, actually, he's just playing better and doing more, even when we thought he was doing too much before, but he's doing it better. Um, We noted Donovan Mitchell in the 71.11 assist performance. I think his total usage is like 61% or something. So it's basically just a normal Luka game <laughs> in terms of the total usage. Um, I ultimately did go with Nikola Jokic, though, I as too. my number one. And I also, I also have Kevin Durant in there in, in splitting yeah. here. I do have Luka number two. So why don't you say why you ultimately went with Jokic, despite 
this improvement from Luca and the slight lead that he has in minutes. He's played 1,255 minutes to 1,110 from Jokic. At, but although there's no only a one game difference in terms of games played, 34 to 33. Right. So you, again, I have those players in the same tier. I'm sure you do too because you have a third guy in that group as well. The argument in favor of Luca is pretty easy. But Jokic, he's he's the hub. He's been a more efficient scorer by a pretty significant margin individually, 69.2 percent true shooting versus 62.2 percent for Luka which is still well above the league average and a part of it is also Jokic has even if we're even if we feel that he is at times overrated defensively he has more to do and the Nuggets have been successful defensively when he's been on the floor Denver has a 101 sorry not a 101.2 that would be incorrect a 115 defensive rating that's not fantastic but it's still a plus 11 net rating when he's on the floor he's been their best player and yeah but yeah and the on-court uh, defensive rating for Jokic is 111.7. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I was looking at the wrong lights. 111.7, and then it's 115 when he's off. Yeah. Yeah, so they're 3.3 points per 100 better when he's on the floor defensively. Um, and- but to, to piggyback on your point real quickly, the Nikola Jokic, 25 points worth of net rating differential when he's on the floor versus off. The second highest among any type of contender on this list is Stephen Curry with 15.2. And this is the craziest stat to me. Nikola Jokic, when he's on the floor, plus 11.3 net rating for the Nuggets. That is the best of any of these candidates by over two points per 100. Second best right now. Oh, no, it's exactly two points per 100. Jason Tatum, they're, uh, plus 9.3 when he's on. Well, and then, on, the, on that front, yeah. just quickly, yeah. Denver has not been extraordinarily healthy this year. The, Jamal Murray yeah, is still making so. back from injury. Michael Porter Jr. has missed plenty of time. They have a lot of other good players, but a lot of them are defense first, which you can do when you have Jokic as the offensive engine. And so you can have, you know, KCP, Bruce Brown, Aaron Gordon, everybody else there. And Luca's supporting cast is weaker than last year and is not always the most inspiring, especially when they're missing a bunch of open threes. But that plus 11.3 is really notable. So, yeah, the, the Denver Nuggets, when Nikola Jokic is on the floor, are the best. And then when you look at when he's off the floor, they are the worst by yep. a crazy significant margin as well. They're negative 13.7 when he's off the floor. And again, you know, Mike Malone likes his five-man bench units. He's been experimenting, trying to find some stuff uh, that works, you know, similar to Stephen Curry, who's uh, number two in terms of differential. But that's a, that's amazing that the team performance when he's on the floor is the best and when he's off the floor is the worst among this group. That was what ultimately clinched it for me. And Luca, you know, the Mavs are plus 5.1 when he's on. That's pretty good. And they're negative 4.4 when he's off. But that's just kind of, you know, 9.5 differential. That's like normal superstar stuff. This We're talking about like best of all time. And again, the Nuggets bench has certainly sucked. And, and they've, they've had a lot of issues there and they're searching. But that's still, that number still means something. It does. Particularly the on part. Now let's talk about Kevin Durant because you, I mean, it was a close call for me to not have him in this tier. He's my clear cut number three. And in part because Jason Tatum is the best player on what is, I would say, still currently the NBA's best team. I think that in some ways Durant, Durant's an incredible season. It's too early to say, oh, it's underappreciated. Or He's been phenomenal so far. Yeah, I think KD probably has the best argument and you can throw Tatum in there too until maybe you get down to Joel Embiid of uh, the best defensive player of these serious candidates and we'll talk sure. about Giannis too I, I 
with the Bucks falling off, you know, I, I want to explain why it is that I don't really see him competitive in this group. So, and I think KD still might be a better player. I, I would probably rather have him going in the playoffs than Luka or Jokic, considering some of the defensive concerns. And I think maybe even what KD does. Well, I don't know what Jokic does. Pretty fucking hard to stop too, but. uh I mean, I just, the, the position that KD plays and his defensive versatility, uh, I still think that that just has so much value. And he and Jokic are both having maybe the two best mid-range shooting seasons of all time, but KD's volume is completely insane on that. So I guess the ultimate reason why I just couldn't quite get there with KD, I mean, his traditional numbers are amazing. 67% true shooting, 317 usage. The total usage is lower, though. It's played, he's having one of his better playmaking seasons, but overall total usage for KD is only 44%. The on-off differential, certainly very high, uh, and if the Nets continue to play this way, he may grow uh, as a candidate. He's had to share the court with some pretty ugly lineups early in the season. Now that Warren is healthy and Kyrie is, is back playing regularly, it's a different situation. Um, quickly, before I finish up on KD, I wanted to update a chart that we looked at last time of the highest true shooting percentage for players 25 usage or over. Nikola Jokic this year leads that 68.7 true shooting on 28.5 traditional usage. And don't forget the playmaking as well there. Uh, Kevin Durant this year is now second all-time in that category behind Steph Curry's 17-18 season. Uh, and KD actually has played almost as many minutes as Steph played in that season. KD is at 67.4 true shooting. And then Steph this year still is at 66.8 true shooting on 31 usage. Then you get down to AD this year, who is uh, 66% true shooting on 28 usage. So those are the guys uh, who are... Really, in this, Zion Williamson actually is 13th on this list with 65% true shooting and 29.8 usage. So, uh, but KD stuff and Jokic in particular, Jokic is just uh, unbelievable right now uh, with his efficiency and then throwing in that he's probably the best passer in the NBA as well. But ultimately, KD just doesn't show up quite as well in some of the impact metrics that we look at. It's just harder to build a statistical case for him, whereas Luka and Jokic are, are just the two highest at this point in time. Along those lines, I think of Tatum's case as being a weaker version of Durant's. Like, Durant is a better individual scorer. He is significantly higher in true shooting. They're both lower in terms of their offensive role relative to the crazy heights of Jokic, much, le much less Luka. And Tatum is a better defender than a lot of the, than the, some of the other guys on the list, but he's not so much better at that that it makes up the margin. Tatum, his team has been very successful when he's been on the floor, but they're also a, I think, a better roster, and so, and they've been mostly healthier over the course of the year. Robert Williams' absence, even with that, they've still been healthier because they have. Yeah, just so and much honestly, talent. just when I watch Jason Tatum, I, and again, I, this has been lower on him than some for a while. I, I just don't think he has the same level of offensive impact as Kevin Durant. It's certainly not Doncic and Jokic. And yeah, he's better defensively than Jokic or Doncic are, but I don't know if he has that argument over KD either. It's just, he's just not like, like to, for me to pick him over those guys, the statistical argument would have to be basically ironclad. Well, and, and basically, it's also the difference between being a positive defensive player and a superlative one, which Tatum is a good piece of what has not been as consistently a good defense this year, though they have been better than all of the other high-end candidates when he's been on the floor, Giannis accepted, of course. 
And but Tatum, it's not like he's a heliocentric defender. The argument I made for Rudy Gobert a few years ago when I actually had him in the MVP race. Instead, it's like it's a different case, but it's not quite as strong. Then for me, after Tatum, it became much more garbled in part because some of the players like Curry and Davis haven't played enough. So you have these kind of like guys who have been better, but just haven't logged enough minutes. And then you have other players who have been healthier, but haven't been quite as dominant per each minute they were on the floor. So there's a part of me that just wanted to stop it at four just because I didn't I, I thought that the next group is just kind of clustered. But I did end up going with Donovan Mitchell at number five. Wow, explain that one. Now, Dan did put this sheet together for us before the 71-point game, so maybe... Oh, it it, it moved up. (laughs) Donovan Mitchell is now, as we're recording this podcast, he's fifth in offensive estimated plus-minus of of all players in the NBA. He is also... I think he's a little bit lower than that in, um, in... offensive raptor yeah offensive raptor he's sixth so exactly and not not exactly much further down and some of the other players who are above him a two of them we've already discussed the mvp race and a couple of them have missed a lot more time so for mitchell he's he has a lot a large part of the offensive role you know he's he's more in the like 43 usage rather than the like 49s like some of these other guys but the team has been effective offensively when mitchell's been on the floor he's had to have a larger workload during some of this time that darius garland's been out both the beginning of the season and now and he's been capable defensively so for me you could make an argument i i in my also considered i had like six guys and i think any of them are are completely worthy of that just depending on what you want to value but I was surprised and, you know, and it did, you know, in part because the seven, not the 71 game didn't bias it, but it just strengthened his case enough that I moved him from the also considered into number five. Yeah, I think what ultimately sank Mitchell's candidacy for me, and this even will come up in All-NBA, we we differ on his value quite a bit. And granted, again, I did a lot of this work and based it on the stats before the 71 point game, it's just unavoidable because it takes a lot of work to put these stats together and to, to prep this we're going to be a little bit behind uh up uh, before the 71 point game only a 112 offensive rating when mitchell is on the floor it's just that's average that's just not very good uh and you know i, I the Cavs have had some issues in terms of playing the two bigs and they got stevens and a coro out there sometimes too but they also go to some offensive lines like kevin love is a pretty good offensive four like i wouldn't say that their personnel around him is particularly bad it's not particularly good either so and then defensively they're a lot worse when he's on the floor i don't think his defense has been bad this year but that's a part of the equation uh in, in fact uh, of all the players on this list uh, he has the worst on off differential in terms of uh, his defensive rating so and um, the Cavs uh, overall are actually worse when donovan mitchell is on the floor this year 5.0 points per 100 worse uh before of course the 71 point game which it may have may have changed that quite a bit it was a hell of a game yeah. so yeah he just didn't have the statistical resume to get into this for me i went with stephen curry my original in that choice. spot yeah uh also considering joel Embiid and Giannis Antetokounmpo, and i think there are many who think we're probably too low on Embiid for sure and you know, he hasn't played quite as many minutes in 27 games and curry has played 26 so I don't think that, I mean, Embiid has been playing recently and Curry hasn't, which kind of makes you, and he's going to, Curry's going to miss more time too. We're doing this as a snapshot right now. Uh, so I just think Steph Curry in basically the same number of games and minutes uh, has been better. Like he was my pick for MVP last year or last month. He only slightly fell off in the month of December before getting injured. So I, and Embiid is not 
close to him in EPM. He's not close to him in Raptor either. And it's just generally, yes, Joel Embiid, 63% true shooting, crazy high usage, 37.9%. Total usage actually is very, very high as well, though he turns it over more than a a fair number of these guys. 47.5% total usage, but 9.1% of that is playmaking. I just don't believe that a center other than maybe Nikola Jokic, or not maybe, definitely Nikola Jokic, is capable of just driving offense to the crazy high level because he's just kind of taking up space in there. You turn the ball over, trying to get it into him. It's just a more plodding offensive flow overall. And yeah, they've had Harden out some, they've had Maxi out some. He's kept them afloat, but I think there's more of a floor raising quality to his offense than a truly elite performance. And, well, and I'll, I'll add yeah. in one other thing. I agree with all that. That Embiid, specifically in defensive Raptor, it's, it's more positive on him, and that would be a part of the case for those who want to argue Embiid. Like he has, yeah. I believe he's he's fourth overall in in Raptor, but. The Sixers in general have a lot of opponent three-point shooting luck in their profile, so they've they've been very good defensively. I but think fourth overall in Raptor on defensive Raptor. No total Raptor. He fueled fueled by the you know so he because he's a he's a plus. I, um, I see him as as fifth. Oh no, I was missing Davis. Sorry, he's he's below yeah. Davis as well. Um, yeah, and also by the way, Davis and he have played pretty darn close to the same right. number of games and Embiid has played a hundred more minutes than him. Right. And so, um, but so Embiid, and then the other note defensively there is that opponents are shooting above average at the rim when Embiid is on the floor. Um, it does, it's, it, they shoot way, way above that yeah. when he's the, not, the, but his on floor defensive rating is one Oh six, five. They've had a lot of shooting luck. Yes. There that that's helped that. So, I mean, they're, they're Plus 7.8 when a beat is on, negative 1.3 when he's off, total net rating. So 9.1 differential. That's good. Like he's, and I just don't, I don't see the statistical argument for him to get into the top five. I, I just I don't think he's been as good as Stephen Curry. They played the same number of minutes. Um, anything else on Embiid? No. And then with Giannis, his kind of the offensive resume isn't quite at the level of these other players. He does have a larger role in part because of the absences of, of Chris Middleton for most of the season and Drew Holiday for portions at 52.7 total usage. But incredibly, of the players that we have discussed for this so far, he has the lowest true shooting. And when you consider where Giannis's shots ideally come from, that is pretty, yeah. pretty stunning. Ideally, but not actually increasingly. Yes, of course. Yeah, and see so of that. And then in part because of the kind of the, some of the player availability stuff and some really bad losses to, to like you know just like large volume losses the bucks defense doesn't quite have the same juice right now that it did before so that part of Giannis's case is weaker you know if we're st- if we're talking about best players in in the league or everything else then Giannis is still going to figure incredibly highly but his case for being one of the five most valuable players in the league is weaker and there just isn't a statistical case at this point in time with the numbers that we look at in terms of efficiency, in terms of now the usage is really high, but the defensive footprint, they're actually now worse defensively when he's on the floor as opposed to off 1.3 points per 100 worse. They're only 2.1 points per 100 better when he's on the floor. And more, I think, concerning they're only a 110 offensive rating when he is on the floor that's well below average league average right now is or league median i should say is 113 so 
and that's per NBA.com where we got these on off rating is the easiest place to get those will be a little bit different than cleaning the glass but uh they're all pretty much the same relative to one another so yeah i, I mean he's not and granted drew holiday's been out chris middleton's been out they've got like reasonable shooting alongside him they don't have just like total non-shooters so yeah and he's had a, a big burden but i don't think that Giannis ball as the primary guy it can drive you all that high because he is just so reliant on getting all the way to the rim in transition and frankly like the number of jump shots that he's taking like yeah hey it's great that it, your traditional usage is 38.6 right now which is even higher than Luca's, amazingly although not once you include the playmaking but so many of those are just shots that are not good shots so I, I there's really is not and when you look at uh, Raptor when you look at EPM like he's just not anywhere close to the top group uh, at this point in time so uh, let's go through it again I've got Jokic one Doncic two KD three really would be fine with any of those as the MVP right now Tatum four Steph Curry five also considered Joel and Giannis I have Jokic and Doncic one two small gap Durant at three small gap Jason Tatum at four, much bigger gap. Donovan Mitchell for now at five, also considered Steph Curry, Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Anthony Davis. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. 
I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing, like their premium Slub Crew tee, the No BS High Rise Pant, the Slim Roughneck Pant featured in Giant Magazine, Issue 2. Every American Giant piece is made in America and designed to last no exceptions, and it provides year-round comfort. So find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use that finger code CAPSPACE at checkout. Please remember we talk about CAPSPACE all the time here on the program that's 20% off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us so my all nba first team is pretty much self-explanatory here based on my top five and mvp make up a, a all nba first team with two guards two forwards and a center so Doncic and curry at guard durant and tatum at forward nicole Jokic at center curry is i i have the same five as you it's just that i had curry because he's played less and a lot of time listeners will know this but i i'm more aggressively than you have a real difference in criteria between all nba and mvp for me it's most outstanding as long as you played a sufficient amount of time i don't have a hard line on it. it's usually a little bit more than half of your team's games to be really considered yeah and i think you're probably more lenient on it at this point of the season too as you kind of think about all right if this guy comes back and plays the rest of the season what's it going to look like whereas at the end of the year if the guy played 41 games you're probably going to be a little more uh, to, some, to some extent though we're so early in the season now that if you're getting if you're right about half then it's just a small sample and so am i probably right. evaluating how well mm. they play this will come up in defensive player of the year um which positional group do you want to go to first i think the easiest to just walk through very quickly is center yep joel Embiid, second team all nba and Anthony Davis, third team All-NBA at center. And I write down also considered, and also considered at center is basically nobody. It's no one. I have AD second team and Embiid third team, but they're incredibly close. I mean, Davis was playing very well offensively and defensively when he went out and, you know, had had the, just, just so we have it out there, Davis, obviously his total usage is well below anybody else we've discussed at 33.6. So that's pretty significantly below, but 66% true shooting is fantastic. Even if it is somebody who's more just created for him. And then defensively, if we want to use, uh, this is the older version, the the ones that, that we pulled a couple days ago, but Davis Positive, of course, in defensive EPM. I believe he actually has the best defensive EPM of anybody that we've considered. And he has the best defensive Raptor narrowly passing Nikola Jokic. And we've talked about why that is the case there. So three centers, nobody else seriously considered the way that somebody else could get into that mix would be if one of that trio, and hopefully this doesn't happen, misses enough time. Like it's hard to imagine someone outplaying those three and that's the way they get in so do you have any rationale for why you went and bead or third team davis second team and i i would vice versa i think davis has been better i mean that's the that's the short version of it 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 the he's been a more efficient offensive player Joel Embiid also turns the ball over a bunch, which isn't a huge deal. And the Lakers, like it, it's a weird thing. Like, yes, the Lakers have been meaningfully worse when 
AD is on the floor than the Sixers have with Embiid. I think their team is also significantly weaker in that in that respect, and the defense falls off significantly when AD's out there. And that may, I mean, we've seen that in in recent time where they have to go to go to a completely different concept. And I'm not going to credit Anthony Davis for Rob Polinka being a bad general manager, just like I don't blame yeah. the player. Well, well, I will credit him for getting this team to a 109. Right. Point nine defensive rating now worth noting that some of that's compiled early in the season but uh yeah i, I think ultimately i went with Embiid. just he, he's got about a 100 minute advantage on ad but also i mean that's nine percent higher traditional usage scoring usage is eight percent higher double the playmaking usage as well now turns it over more but ad just operating more as a as a play finisher i do think ad has been a little bit better defensively than Embiid, but i, I think you can make an argument either way there probably would have, actually i don't think i think ad's been better than Embiid this year defensively uh more consistent but uh, i think Embiid is just so much bigger a part of the offense than ad who's basically exclusively a play finisher this season he hasn't been that as much that in previous years so and uh, that's why i think i would go with Embiid there but i, I can see davis um so center is done you want to do guard or forward next let's do guard in part because i thought it was a harder decision so curry and luca top top group is is pretty easy and in terms of per minute impact i actually thought there has it has become a relatively clear third place and that is damian lillard lillard yeah i mean he he's really putting it together and it's it's sort yeah, of the reverse. he's completely under the radar yeah this season and you know you missed time those two times with the calf injury and stuff but like when you look out there, when he's on the floor, the statistical footprint is massive. It's massive. So 48% total usage, 62 roughly percent true shooting. But here's the big one. The Portland Trailblazers have a 120.1 offensive rating when he's on the floor. That is one-tenth of one percent behind Devin, or one-tenth of one point behind Devin Booker and above every single other person. And Lord, of course, has a huge role within their offense. He is also currently. Well, it's not. It's not a. You're talking about a person who's in consideration at guard. Yes, in consideration at guard. Sorry, I should clarify that. And Willard currently he's fourth in offensive estimated plus minus behind only Luca Curry and Jokic. So you have a pretty clear case there. I think it's similar in if memory serves, it's similar in Raptor as well. And so Dame, he's not in the MVP conversation because he's missed so much time. But he, I mean, it, per minute, he has been as good as everyone but the absolute best. Yeah, th- that one twenty jumped off the page at me 13.4 points per 100 better when he's on the floor that often it's not like they're and they've got Anthony Simons like they've got some other guys like it's not like they're just totally hopeless without him they play small a fair amount on the on the second unit and he's not necessarily killing their defense or anything either so looking at that offensive EPM it really is in a at a different level and that's what you're going to look at a lot with guards is more the offensive EPM in particular and also he just has the track record and we just know what the way that he breaks defenses I mean to push them to a 120 offensive rating and that's better than the Mavs with Luca like I would I would say that it's relatively comparable talent offensively between the Mavs and the Blazers around those two guys it's really just a and and we've just seen it for so long too and that's going to be a little bit of a theme here with these guards because we do have some new players who have jumped in and I think it's pretty close 
Well, and between Dame and Booker and and Mitchell and a few of these other guys, but yeah, yeah, what were you gonna say? Well, I'll note I don't consider track record at all personally. Yeah, I, I it, because I, me, I do it as a for me the award is not like when I'm, but we can have differences here. Like this is it's not a problem. It's yeah. just for me, it's not about what you were. It's about what you are. And we'll do point guard rankings. We'll do shooting guard rankings and all that stuff, and we can we can get into it. But that will lead to at certain times. But Lillard's just been better than everyone else, so we can get there. And so just to kind of set the table from in my eyes. The next group was about five players that are all that all have strengths and weaknesses in their case. And I thought their overall level of play has been pretty similar. Again, that I wait for I wait games missed less heavily when we're talking about all NBA to list those five in no particular order. John Morant, Donovan Mitchell, Tyrese Halliburton, Devin Booker, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And so for me, I have zero issue with any one of them being that last second team spot. And I have zero issue with any of them being off of the three teams. Threw Kyrie Irving in there too. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, I'm not, again, his brand is certainly mud at the moment, but he's actually played more than you think he has. Well, the other guy who's kind of like that, not the brand is mud part, but like I... I think James Harden's All NBA candidacy is is more significant. Like I I had I had really thought about his statistical resume, but he has he'll have not only does he have a case now, but he'll have a case a month from now if he can be healthy. Yeah, just uh, watching Harden play it's it's not it hasn't been as impressive to me. Um, but yeah, so I I want to just finish up on my philosophy thing because this is going to inform my picks here that i just use the track record somewhat as a tiebreaker because uh, particularly if a guy is new on the scene it just i ultimately want to just pick the guys that that i think have been the best this season but i'm going to default to a tiebreaker of just who i think is the better player overall if i can't if i don't have really an ironclad statistical argument for any of these guys so um i ultimately went with devin booker on my nba second team and that big number for the Suns, the 120 offensive rating when he's on the floor, I, I mean, that's been huge, particularly because he just hasn't gotten much support from Chris Paul, who will show up much, much later in this podcast. And he's just been driving so much of the Suns offense. Unfortunately, he hasn't been healthy and it looks like he's going to miss a bunch of time. So he may drop out of this by next time. And he's been maybe a little bit less efficient than some of the other guys uh, on this list and he's never been a huge model darling but i don't think his case is that much worse than say halliburton or morant or i think maybe it is a little bit worse than lillard other than the fact that booker has played more i mean booker still has played 29 games in over a thousand minutes so you don't ding him for the missed time at this point relative to some of these other guys uh but yeah i mean i think ultimately devin booker is has proven at a, a higher level over a longer period of time than say shea or tyrese halliburton uh, and Kyrie just hasn't his distribution isn't quite on on the same level and he uh is about the same number of minutes uh, as booker because he plays a ton uh, but i i just not quite ready to put irving uh on an all being team yet maybe after a month uh, i might be it, it, and it irving is- also probably has one of the weaker like on off signature type of 
uh, well, Irving on-off has, signature resumes than a lot he of also guys. has one of the smaller roles within the offense in part because he plays with Kevin Durant. So like he's at forty yeah. percent usage, whereas somebody like even Booker is at forty six six. And I think another strong part yeah. of so, total usage there. Total usage. Another important part of Booker's case is just this isn't the same. You know, you think about the Phoenix Suns, you're like, oh, we well, plays alongside Chris Paul. Not really. And Chris Paul hasn't been as good. We'll probably talk about that later. So Booker's had more on his shoulders than I expected, and he's done better than I expected. I had him on my third team, but again. As I said, these I I feel these five are all basically at the same level. I ended up with Donovan Mitchell, who I had fifth in MVP. I ended up with him as my second team guy. But the case between, especially in some ways, him, Halliburton, and Booker, I thought like they all have different elements to it, but I thought they were all even closer. And with Halliburton, that playmaking, you know, we did the NBA strategy stream last week. And part of the reason I did, we, we ranked the players in terms of playmaking usage was to highlight the role that Tyrese Halliburton has in this offense. He's number one in the entire NBA in playmaking usage. The Indiana Pacers, not a team we expected to be an offensive juggernaut, and they aren't necessarily, but a 115.1 offensive rating when Halliburton is off is on the floor is very is very credible and it falls off by about nine points per hundred possessions when he does not play. And remember, this is a team that has capable point guards. They're not as good as him, but they are capable. And so for Halliburton, he's not doing it necessarily as a scorer in the way that some of these other players are, but he has been efficient individually as a scorer, 62% true shooting. So I ended up with him as my first, or I mean, him and Booker as my third team. But then to do the case for Shea and John Morant, who just as easily could have been on there, John Morant actually has the highest total usage of any of the players in this range above Halliburton at 53.5 and Morant below current league average and true shooting 55%. But the Grizzlies have a 115.4 offensive rating when he's on the floor. That's roughly the same as Halliburton. And and they, they have been very limited, particularly since Bain has been out for a a month or so. Like they've been pretty limited outside. He's had to take on maybe a little bit more than would be ideal. Sure. And, and so, and part of the reason I had Morant, out the 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 all-in-one models which i'm not treating as gospel are lower on him than for example someone like halliburton halliburton pretty pretty clear model darling in that he's higher than a lot of these brethren in offensive vpm and i believe higher than basically all of them in offensive raptor as well of these competitive guards i i give some deference to that and then for Shea, the other argument that is, I think, really persuasive for him is that while the Oklahoma City Thunder have a weaker offensive rating with him on the floor than most of these players, we know both because this team has really limited shooting and they have much more limited talent that it's harder for Gilgis Alexander not only to generate good stats for himself, but to push the offense. And you could see that by OKC having a 103.9 offensive rating when he's off the floor, which is worse even than the Mavs without Luka and the Warriors without Steph Curry. Ah! So, yeah, at Shade to me had the best case of the guys I left off. I ultimately went with Mitchell, who, who we talked about playing already, and John Morant on my third team. And I just, when I came down to it, I just couldn't say, hey, Shade Gilgis Alexander or Tyrese Halliburton better than John Morant. I think they all have their pluses and minuses. You can really go any way in terms of the statistical cases but I, i'm just more of a believer in jaw's talent this is i feel uh, kind of shitty about it because i'm i'm getting perilously close to the this team deserves representation on an all-nba team where the grizz are one of the best teams in basketball and i just kind of like can i really take 
guys on 500 teams and put him over Ja Morant when the case is pretty close. And I think Ja has the better track record of these guys as well. So I, I ultimately went with Ja again. I'm not going to break anybody's balls about going with Shea or Tyrese Halliburton or even Kyrie ultimately. So that let's uh, let's finish out our guards then. First team, Doncic and Curry, we both have. I've got Lillard and Booker. Second team, your second team was? Lillard and Mitchell. And I've got Mitchell and Morant, third team, and your third team. Halliburton and Booker. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Forward was also interesting. And I'm glad that two guys have really emerged into this conversation because I remember... Last month, we were like, hey, who the hell are we putting on the third team? Like, these guys haven't played. I I eventually went with Jimmy Butler and Paul George on the third team. I had DeMar DeRozan in there, who's not even going to, I mean, figure, but he didn't make my All-NBA this thing. I felt like the forward crop was exceedingly weak. And obviously, Giannis is going to be one of my second teams, I assume, for you as well, right? Absolutely. But the emergence of Zion Williamson, and uh, really a shame we got the news yesterday as we predicted is going to be a multi-week absence although maybe even longer than i think it's three to four weeks is that yeah three yeah. weeks at least he's, he's going to be reevaluated re- re- in three okay but so uh, presumably he's not going to figure as much the next time we do this but i mean he's been unbelievable he was my other second team all nba forward zion's on my third team and i have i have no real opposition to that um i ended up going with a different offense offensively talented power forward who didn't figure last time that's pascal siakam and siakam wow. has he has a, a large role within he has, actually has a larger total usage for the raptors than zion williamson does the raptors despite their flaws offensively is a polite way to put it they have been better offensively when siakam is on the floor than the pelicans have been with zion on the floor 
And I consider Siakam a massively better defensive player. I know the models haven't been as enthusiastic about Siakam, but when I watch the Raptors, he's generally doing a good job. And Zion has had some really good moments. And so for Siakam, I mean, he's not going to match Zion Williamson's individual scoring efficiency. And of course, that matters. Zion Williamson just a shade under 65% true shooting so far this year. But I wanted to highlight what Siakam has done when he has been available. And so, yeah, I have, I have those guys. If you if we did tiers for All-NBA, I would have them in the same tier. But I have Siakam above him so far. Well, so you got Siakam above not only Zion, but LeBron. Mm-hmm. Above Paul George, above mm-hmm. Jimmy Beller. I just really not, I didn't think that Siakam was really close uh, to me. It just and I, you know, I guess some of the impact metrics are pretty good. Maybe I should have considered his candidacy a little bit more. I mean, but he's I just, he, like, he's a he, if you want to. And I, again, they're a component of this, not the whole, not the whole thing. Both EPM and Raptor feel that Pascal Siakam is the best offensive forward of the group that we have that that isn't clearly above him and i can yeah i i disagree they're they're wrong i I, if you watch sign williamson versus versus pascal siakam on on offense like it's not even it's not even close that's why i said i'm not i'm not saying that's the reason i did it i'm not saying anything like that but the argument in terms of what what they have done and i mean it's another important part and again i i didn't i'm when i laid out my rationale for pascal siakam i did not mention either of those metrics because i don't i it's it's a small part of what i consider but it is it is something and the idea that it's trying to calibrate in terms of like the surrounding talent and everything else but here's the other part of it i think of siakam as a meaningfully better defender than all of those guys and i think that's harder to argue against so if it's let's say you want you you're that those are overrating him offensively i mean he's been better defensively than lebron he's been better defensively than zion for sure and then jimmy butler's case is kind of complicated but i think siakam game to game is better than jimmy butler defensively too oh uh, i i can't I can't go there. Jimmy Butler, I mean, he's not an unbelievable individual defender, but I mean, as a team as a team guy, sure. I guess if we're if we're incorporating the team defensive parts, fine. Yeah. Well, I, it, the team's important. Yeah. I mean, uh, he also has it's been this Raptors defense has been so weird. I would say I was going to say Jimmy has better defensive defensive talent around him. It is dependent on the moment for both of those guys. Yeah, I think just to me the Raptors half court offense like yeah, it's been better when Siakam is, has been on the floor, but I still, he and Zion are about the same number of minutes. I, I mean, I had Siakam below a lot of guys. I also just don't think he's in the same class of player overall, but it's, and maybe I've just been too blinded by uh, the Raptors' disappointing season so far, and they are plus 3.8 when he's on the floor, and they're 8.2 points or 100 better overall. The individual efficiency is not a base. I just don't think that Pascal Siakam generates great shots ultimately when I watch him. And that's the biggest thing. I mean, it's sometimes he'll go in, he'll get some contested floaters in the lane, but he doesn't get amazing separation. And yeah, the Raptors don't have great spacing, but I, I and he's a solid playmaker, but he's not a, a, on the level of so, some of these other guys. So what's, to me. what's interesting is a lot of the arguments that you're making. I like my my thought with that is I think LeBron's argument is a lot weaker than other people. When you look at the totality of a season, if it was just the last month or so when he's been fantastic, sure, 
Like LeBron has been one of at least the six best forwards in the league over the last month. But that's not what this is. This is the whole season so far. The Lakers Lakers offense has been barely above average when LeBron James has been on the floor. And by the way, it's the second season in a row that that's the case. This is not. And yes, this, the context here is extremely important. Their surrounding talent is far weaker than the average team. And LeBron is at being asked to do something that I don't think any of these guys could do. But I also don't think that LeBron has been notable, you know, let's call it that way, defensively. And so is he a better player? Probably. But the the idea that LeBron, LeBron is elevating, he's elevating the Lakers as, as best he reasonably could. But also like the Lakers on off with LeBron is less, it's smaller than it is for yeah. almost, for a significant number of these other players. That's true. And part of that is because they had that really nice stretch when LeBron was out and Davis started playing real well. And they also played against some shitty teams during that stretch. Yeah, I mean, that's, wow. I I had Siakam below a ton of other candidates. I mean, I bear I I'll put it in my also considered. I did just consider him, but I I really just yeah, he's just not at that level for me. And I think the forward crop is much better than it has been when when I think he was more in this mix last year. As sad as Pascal NBA losing that uh, makes me I. Yeah, just a, just not a believer in him at, at that level, and and I think it's not when watching him and like yeah, the stats are like all right. I guess he's got a, a reasonable argument compared to some of these other guys, but just watching him, I don't feel him on the same level game to game, and and thinking about their half court offensive struggles as well. Um, so uh, third team for me. Uh, I did. I thought LeBron was a pretty easy call for me uh, on the third team. And again, maybe I've just been a little bit blinded because of what he's been doing recently. But he's also, it's LeBron James. I feel pretty confident that he's going to be very, very good the rest of the season and that he just is better than a bunch of these guys. And I, I finally went with Paul George as my last guy on, on the All NBA third team. Uh, but uh, splitting hairs there between DeRozan, Jalen Brown, Jimmy Butler, who would probably be in there if he had just played a little bit more. He's got the fewest minutes of any of these guys, 803 and 23 games, and he's been struggling with this knee issue. Um, George, how was his candidacy for you? I guess you haven't done your third team yet. You're still, you, we're still with Pascal Siakam <laughs> on the second team, <laughs> the lofty second team right now. I have Butler over George, but they're my, they, they were my kind of six and seven, if you want to put it that way. And, Paul and George, Zion was your other third team yeah, guy. Zion, Zion was my other third team guy. And I think that Paul George, it's it's kind of a weirdly uninspiring case, despite it being a credible one. Like he's been reasonably effective as a scorer. He is, you know, like, oh, as as often the case, a lot of the models really like him defensively. And I think that's completely fair. The Clippers have been one of the league's best defensive teams overall this season. And when you consider that that they've had a lot of guys in and out of the lineup, I, I do think Paul George deserves part of that case. I just, you know, especially considering like, I mean, I guess you could say, I mean, Paul George has a larger role within his offense than Jimmy Butler does, but maybe this is my, like the equivalent of it, of you, you with Siakam, where I just don't see it as much with PG also like, and again, the, the Clippers offense has been significantly worse when he's off the floor. So maybe I should, but I don't know. So I mean, between George and Butler, I think it's a, I think it's a close call. Um, yeah, those two guys always seem to be matching always. up somewhere on on third team uh, All NBA. I've had, had a lot of a lot of debates uh, about those two guys. I mean, it seemed like Butler pulled ahead in last year's playoffs as just kind of an overall player. Uh, 
after PG was way better than the 21 playoffs, Butler was terrible. So it kind of just comes down to who seems to be feeling the best at that point. But I think George, just the way he fits into a team, shooting the ball actually is above average efficiency on a Clippers team that has nobody else because Kawhi has barely played their 104 offensive rating when he's off, 114 when he's on, and one of the better defensive players of this group. But And I think his shooting is a, a big part of the offense. I think he's actually looked a little bit more explosive off the dribble until he tweaked his hamstring on a move like that the other day. Uh, so, and I, I think he's a, again, a guy with a, a track record of playing at an all NBA level, level. I think he's doing it this year. Uh, but I think I, I also would have considered DeRozan. I also would have considered Jalen Brown uh, for this. I also even consider Draymond Green, who's going to have a very, uh, he's going to come up uh, in a few minutes here. Like, I think he's actually having a very underrated season so far. Um, and, and then Siakam as well. But yeah, George and LeBron on my third team. Did you fill out yours? Yeah. Uh, so just to go through it from the top, Durant and Tatum, first team, Giannis and Siakam, second, but with Zion Williamson, Jimmy Butler, third team. Yeah, I think the people might also be asking, you know, where are Julius Randle and Larry Markinen? Markinen has been tremendously efficient, but just doesn't have a large enough role in the Jazz offense. And I think particularly as we've watched them lose a bunch of close games recently, the fact that they can't really involve him that much in the primary action and let him create for himself and others. So the playmaking usage is only 4.2%, which is really, really low. He has played a lot of minutes. He has been very efficient, but he still is largely reliant on others to set him up. Even his scoring usage is only 22%, which is just about the lowest of anyone here other than Draymond Green. But I mean, worth noting even that Draymond Green has a higher total usage than Lowry Markkinen does yep. when you um, consider his playmaking uh, also. Right. So, uh, and also, uh, yeah, it's not, and then, it's not like yeah. Markkinen is an ace defender. Like, it, it is as well as Markkinen has played, and I know some of the models really like him. It is hard for me to say that a play finisher who is not a high-level defender, or particularly on a high-level defense, like, it's it's not even a circumstance where it's like he's been a part of a, a really strong defensive hole, has been one of the six best forwards in basketball. Like, I just don't, as well as he's played, like, I think for me, it's been confirming on the idea that a player like that just can't be valuable enough yeah and Julius Randall uh, I mean he's having a nice bounce back season I will maybe talk about him more for all-star but uh, another guy who's just not really adding much on the defensive end although he's improved back to at least semi-adequate and he's also less iso ball been more efficient this year I think having Brunson has really helped him with that to get more assisted buckets not hold the ball as much so he's he's improved but again another guy not really in this class of player to me and and his playmaking usage is down it's the third lowest of anyone on this list behind Jalen Brown but Brown is massive in terms of the scoring usage uh probably Brown would have been the closest to me to make it onto that all NBA third team yeah I had Paul George closest and then Jalen Brown uh, I mean and actually actually Mike and then of course LeBron because I you have him and you have Siakam way back usually you give me the choice but I'm going to give you the choice of where we go from here because there are worthwhile conversations to have but it's just kind of which one do you want at first well let's do defensive player of the year because while I still have some energy that was completely exhausting conversation and this one I think is going to be a very difficult one so I haven't even decided yet uh on my top three i want to kind of talk through it with so, you 
I have a I have a place I want to start with this, which is I I am not yet considering Jaron Jackson Jr. because he just right. quite hasn't played enough. I will say that if I did, he would factor significantly into this conversation. Absolutely. So that I think is fair. So I just and and if you want to go through like Seth's rim protection numbers or the I mean I think he's currently number one in defensive EPM in the entire NBA. So like there are a lot there are a lot of arguments that Jaron Jackson Jr. will be on this list very soon, and I, I think that's but I, he's only played in twenty games so far. That's just it's not quite enough for me to to know that. Yeah, all but, of and more are, importantly, five hundred and fifteen minutes, only right. averaging twenty six minutes a game. He's been out of sure. minutes limit to start, and so. I, I, want, I want to say that better, at the outset. But. I want to say that at the outset. Also, like, I mean, based on some of that stuff, like, if you believed his defense was real, then you could make an argument for him in the All NBA conversation because then that defense is. Uh, but I'm not going to do that for the same reason. Um. So I want to acknowledge that at the outset. It is because of the fall off uh, of the Bucks defense, the kind of the hegemony that they had earlier on is is definitely weakened. And I mean, Brook Lopez still has an incredibly strong argument. If you want to use Seth's rim protection wins statistic he is currently second in the nba opponents are only shooting i think it's 59 percent on on shots when he's you know i could kind of contested shots around the basket with him or uh no so no sorry that's uh that's 50 oh is that the 54 percent that's the 54 um yeah um and yeah exactly yeah 54 percent let me uh update the sheet here Got to change a little formatting around to see it a little bit better. And Brooke Lopez contesting the the most shots uh, are contesting more shots than some of the other players who are in this part of the mix and doing so and allowing that sort of a percentage is very good. However, I don't have Brooke Lopez number one. I have him number two. And I it's you know, if we were doing tiers for defensive player of the year, they would obviously be in the same tier. My number one is the player you just mentioned, Draymond Green. Yeah, pretty impressive uh, for him. And he's played a thousand minutes, so maybe a little bit lower than some of these guys. Nobody is a, a huge minutes hog that's in this conversation, though. But so some of the numbers are really impressive. Now, part of this is adjusted for the fact that Draymond is a forward, and so his positional average in Seth's numbers is adjusted down. But points saved over positional average, Draymond Green is number one uh, over Brook Lopez in Seth's stats, uh, defending at the rim. Uh, when he contests a shot at the rim, opponents are shooting only 49%, which is, that's just insane. Insane for a guy who's six foot six. Uh, and that number has gone down. It's fluctuated a little bit. I, I don't totally put that as gospel, but he does. I mean, he doesn't block a lot of these shots. Uh, opponents take a lot fewer of their shots at the rim when he's on the floor as well. And Seth expands out the definition of at the rim to five feet to try to avoid some of that Golden State home cooking from a scoring standpoint. Uh, The contests per 36 minutes are not amazing, but also Draymond Green has more defensive versatility than basically anyone else on this list, right? And more perimeter responsibilities, not even just capability. And so it's a part of why the Warriors' defense has been effective. If you want to just they play they play Boston he's guarding Jalen Brown he guarded DeJounte Murray on Monday night like he's a lot of times they will put him on if not the best perimeter score maybe the second best perimeter score for the other team when he's playing next to Looney and then he can also play next to uh, Kaminga and be the primary rim protector as well so that versatility is incredible it is incredible and there can be a lot of noise in this because of shooting luck and all that but the Warriors have allowed 6.6 points burner possession more when Draymond Green has been they've allowed more when he's been off the floor that is the largest 
uh, differential of anybody that I seriously considered for this award. There are players who are higher, but I um, like like Jaron. But that, again, we're not. I'm not considering him too seriously at this point. And Draymond also just just the way that he can disrupt what another team wants to do. It's not always in terms of like deflections, but deterring shots. Contest, you know, like contesting shots. He's had a couple of just phenomenal defensive performances over the last little while, and so. I ended up going with him over Brooke Lopez. You can't go wrong with either of those guys. Lopez, it's it's the more traditional big man. We can quantify this stuff more easily. He does it better than anybody else. And Draymond, in part because also, like, I think he's a better defender, but I think he has more to do, and I think he has done it better. The next spot is tough, and it, I, I thought that those two have separated themselves from the pack. But then if you go outside of that, I mean, if for those who really value shots contested at the rim, you could talk about somebody like Miles Turner, who's actually contesting more shots at the basket than than any other kind of like high level contender. But the problem there is that the Pacers defense hasn't been good. And so like I, I don't as much as I love Miles Turner, I don't give him that much deference. If you like perimeter defense, you could probably make an argument for OG Ananobi. I'm not going to do it. He has been good there. Um, instead, the guy who was the the toughest omission for me, other than Jaron, because he doesn't count, is Jared Allen, who I had second last time. The rim protection numbers are still good for Allen. He, he contesting 6.5 shots per 36 minutes using the NBA's tracking data, allowing 54% on those shots is roughly it's it's similar to Brooke Lopez, albeit with fewer contests overall. The Cavs defense when Jared Allen has been on the floor has been strong. It's been a little bit worse than Brooke, but not too much. So the case there is is strong. And I mean, for me, the choice was between Jared Allen and somebody that I didn't expect to have here. And I know you were surprised that I had him second team all NBA and that's Anthony Davis. And for me, part of it is I'm persuaded, you know, Davis, he's, he does generally he does well in like the rim protection stats, but also he has a lot to do. And we know he has no surrounding defensive talent because of not only what this Lakers team defends like when he's not on the floor, but also just thinking about it conceptually. Like they have they they don't have a lot that can deter at the rim that can deter penetration. He oftentimes is, you know, if he has to switch out on somebody, he can do that. And so like I did kind of with Draymond and Brooke, I give I give my spot to the guy who can do more. In this case, maybe you could argue he's not doing the more as, you know, it's not Dr- where Draymond is executing all these things at like s- such perfection. But I wanted to, and also part of it is like, I felt I felt a little guilty if I'm cutting, splitting hairs to remember in the past that I, I really liked what AD has done so far because he's missing time now. He probably won't be in this spot next month. Yeah, you convinced me to move AD into my number three position behind uh, Brooke Lopez and with both AD and Draymond and neither of them were on good defenses but Draymond the when he's on the floor Warriors defend at about a league best level they're just terrible when he's off we noted that they're that 6.6 differential is the biggest of any of these candidates uh, other than Jaron who's at uh, 9.6 right now but that's it still hasn't played enough minutes to qualify and I think also like there's with the Bucks having fallen off you Brooke Lopez, Giannis, I, I think, but I'm just, I'm, I think Draymond has, if not the best, one of the best statistical case. Like there's no one with a dominating statistical case the way we've seen from the likes of Rudy Gobert in previous years. So I went with Draymond because I, I'm, 
very comfortable with his defense being awesome. We have many, many years of track record here. He was, uh, and he doesn't have as much around him this season as he did last season when the Warriors were really good, but he's still getting these guys to be respectful. Yeah, Brooke Lopez, number two, and the, the rim protection is just too good this season. And they're still a 106.5, which is two points better than the best in the league when he's on the floor he definitely causes major problems there i think he's been more of a driving force to their defense than Giannis this year uh and then i did have jared allen third but yeah i think i will slot in anthony davis i think you make a pretty good argument there um apologies too for you jared allen og and anobi and i i don't even og it's just he's been i think he's been the best perimeter defender he i would not put him in my top three so that's i guess maybe it's not even also considered anybody yeah that's fair um you know rudy gobert i would say his season has been disappointing but the wolves are still defending at a near a league best level when he is on the floor Kristaps porzingis has had a very underrated season just the lack of versatility for him it prevents him from being in in this top group to me dylan brooks certainly a very nice statistical argument in terms of the on off stuff but not enough of a playmaker in the end joel Embiid is still a, a big presence around the room just not consistent enough to me as well so the, those are the other ones that i think are i don't know that they're also considered and that i wouldn't have thought of all of those guys being in the top top group but they're kind of the best of the rest uh, at least so i wanted to mention them at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Let's go to coach of the year. And it feels like it's always the case at this juncture that a lot of a lot of coaches are doing a really good job. And so you have to narrow down the list. And and I mean, the also considered here, in my opinion, have strong cases. And I try not, you know, like if I think somebody's done a really good job, I'm not going to defer, especially midseason as much to just who I think are the really good coaches, though. I think that's fair. I mean, so, you know, like there, there are various different examples of that. My number one, because it's, again, my kind of coach of the year catnip is someone who has had to deal with absences that I think have fundamentally changed their team and they have made made it through that very well. And that's why I had Doc Rivers really high last time. I still have him on my list as well. But my number one is Taylor Jenkins, because the Memphis Grizzlies currently, as we're recording this podcast, they are number two in cleaning the glass net rating plus 5.5 per hundred possessions, 23 and 13. And yeah, their defense has been really good this year. That's another thing that I think is good with coaching. But 
to whether Jaron missing the whole start of the year with an indeterminate timeline and Desmond Bain missing more time than we expected without a really clear replacement and with so many other frontcourt absences. I mean, Zaire Williams has basically missed the entire season and a bunch of other things. Like, this team playing this well and this cohesively, despite losing a couple of valued bench players and not having their, you know, some of their three best at all, I, I think Taylor Jenkins has done an excellent job. Absolutely. He's always in the, this conversation. I had him, I also consider but like with most of these coaches they use i don't have much to argue about and you know some of the absences that they've had and part of the reason i was into the grizzlies over which it looks like they're on pace to hit is i just trusted this organization and taylor jenkins to figure it out even with the likes of david roddy and jake laravia and you know last year it was zaire williams going off the bench so people were worried about their lack of depth and the bench hasn't been quite as good but Overall, uh, they've been excellent. Um, he's also uh, getting guys to develop. Uh, again, I think he's, he's very useful uh, in that role. And I, I probably, if we were ranking coaches, I might have him above any of the guys uh, on my coach of the year so far. But right now, my number one is Willie Green. Pell's pretty similar statistical resume to the Grizz. Brandon Ingram, their second best player, it basically hasn't played this year. He's only played 15 games out of their 37. And they've CJ McCollum has really struggled. They've gotten back to getting Zion Williamson to play. This is Zion's first year under Willie Green. He's defended a lot better. This whole team has defended a lot better than I thought that they could. There's just a lot of stuff to navigate with guys who can't shoot on this team, guys who can't defend in the front court. And he still has managed to get very effective minutes. They have great chemistry. So he would be my number one. Um, Rick Carlisle, number two for me, 21 and 17 for the Indiana Pacers right now and i mean they were supposed to be every bit as if not worse than the jazz this season they now actually have a better record than the jazz and then mike brown i said if they could be even remotely respectable on defense he i would give him some coach of the year love so we'll throw that in there we'll see how how much that continues uh, but there are so many other great candidates this year, as there always are. I will echo all of those. Um, I have Willie Green third, and um, I ended up with Doc Rivers second. I do. I am a little bit hesitant. With Doc, it was the same thing as before. They haven't had their best players available. They've still done well. I There's a part of me that's like, Danny, you're an idiot. You have the most lucky and the third most lucky teams in terms of opponent three-point shooting percentage. Like, they're the, the, like <laughs> giving, giving them credit for the defenses doing well. It's like, it might be some of that. But I also think that Green and, and Rivers have done a really good job. And the coach that was actually well, the well Doc Doc's bench closeouts are amazing. Oh yeah, top notch. I, um, I, I, I don't know if he's actually even that. No, I don't that bad at those. But but so but the other guy that you haven't mentioned that was the toughest omission for me is Jacques Vaughn, and yeah, he, was, he was very highly considered and may end up winning this at, at the end. The the way that the Nets, because I've been watching a lot more of them as they've been winning more games, the way that they've been defending and performing overall of course you want to give some credit to having better players available but even getting the stars to buy in being so much better getting back in transition this year than last year jock bond's done a really good job the nets have been one of the best teams in the league over the last month or so and so i wanted to put him in um the other ones that you haven't mentioned that i think deserve some praise on this um joe Missoula with the celtics you know they are just yeah they've been they, the he was my team. number one last year and they, they've fallen off a little bit offensively but you know they're kind of now they're just sort of like 
where I thought they would be as opposed to like way ahead of where we thought they would be. JV Bickerstaff um, yep. and the Cavs. I mean, Cleveland sure. being third on defense, 11th on offense, especially when you consider that Garland has missed some time so far. And they have all these, like all, all the stuff with the groceries on this team. I think that Bickerstaff's done a really nice job. And then the Jazz have taken a step back, but I, I think uh, Will Hardy has done some really good stuff this year, and I wanted to give him some praise. And then because coaches of good teams often get lost in the shuffle, like Mike Budenholzer is doing a good job. Like the, I, I, And I fully think that the Bucks, once they actually get close to their credible complement of players back, like they're a damn good team, and he's done a good job this year. No, that's, that's true. They've had a, a lot of absences, more than it kind of seems like. Even Giannis missing games. Drew Holiday has been out a, a ton. They've really struggled without him. And obviously, Middleton. Um, and, and then another one I, I think should be mentioned, too, I, I think you didn't mention him yet, is Mark Dagnault still to have sure. this Thunder team with a respectable net rating and 16 and 21. Pretty good. I mean, they, they don't. Jay Gilgis Alexander was the only guy on this team coming into the season that you looked at as like a quality starter. Maybe you could have got Lou Jordan there, though his efficiency has, has not been great. So wanted to mention him too. But yeah, Willie Green one, Rick Carlisle two, Mike Braun three for me. But I I mean, we'll, I'm sure we'll cycle through quite a few people uh, over the course of the rest of the season on this award. An award that probably won't have as much cycling towards the top for the remainder of this year is Rookie of the Year. And there, I mean, there are really only to me two candidates. And to me, there's really at this point only one that I like as much. I know that the box score metrics don't like him, and that's Paolo Bancaro. Paolo, 38% total usage is the highest of anybody on this list. And even though the Magic offense has only been slightly better than the, the Pistons offense when Jay Nevy's been on the floor, like I think Ben Carroll has been a meaningfully better offensive player. Overall, he's also been a significantly better defensive player for what that matters. And so for... For Bancaro, like I, I think he's number one. And then Matherin, 55.5% true shooting for him. You wish it was a little bit higher. That that foul drawing is still great, but just the field goal stuff isn't quite... Yeah, three-point shooting has really fallen off right. for, for him. So Bancaro one, Matherin two. And then my number three, Walker Kessler. I went with the exact same order, and this is your monthly reminder that being a rookie in the NBA is hard among players who have played more than 300 minutes and are rookies two have above league average true shooting percentage that's Jalen Durlin and Jalen Williams from OKC who was uh, in my also considered at, at number four uh, Paolo a clear number one at this point in time and and particularly because of part of the component for me of rookie of the year is who is the rookie of the year not necessarily who is the best rookie just in this season but as a tiebreaker i like to look going forward at who the best prospect is going to be so you don't get a malcolm brogdon over joel Embiid type of situation in 2017 and yeah paulo obviously has really separated himself as a prospect matherin he's fallen off for sure it, it kind of makes sense that like, he shouldn't be starting over buddy healed we were kind of wondering why he wasn't now he, he it's clear that he was a little bit hot to start the year. And yeah, Kessler, I mean, he's, I think, basically the only other candidate on this list, uh, realistically, who has a positive EPM. Paolo is uh, plus 0 0.5 and Kessler is plus 0 0.8, most of that coming on the defensive end. I mean, it's just, it's so hard to even point to rookies who have made positive differences in a lot of games. You know, if you wanted to talk about like Jaden Ivey. 
51% true shooting, 25 usage, not making up for it on defense, negative 4.1 EPM. Even my precious Jalen Williams, negative 2.6 EPM, even though he's been at least above average in true shooting and like okay on defense. So there really is not a ton of great candidates this year, at least. And and most years, there aren't that many rookies that are even close to being positive players. Walker Kessler, by the way, number nine in Seth's overall rim protection wins metric. So he has been, has been particularly given his limited minutes. That's impressive. Very impressive. So good, good for him. And another, another feather in the cap of somebody that we'll talk about in a little bit. But before we get to that, we have a couple more awards and let's do best sophomore. Yeah, this is a little bit disappointing. More than a little disappointing overall, though I don't want to give short shrift to the guy who's my number one. So I think we're going to differ here. Uh, I went with Evan Mobley as as the number one. I, I still think he's been the most valuable sophomore on a team that's winning a lot of games. He's suffered from some really bad opponent shooting luck in terms of the defensive metrics opponents are shooting 42 percent when he's uh, on the floor quietly although part of this is because he's stopped taking as many jumpers he hasn't needed to take as many jumpers he has increases efficiency to almost 60 percent true shooting this year so he has made improvements I, I think he just hasn't made the type of improvements that would make us bump him up as a prospect but just a, as a, a player on the the league's best defense he's a big part of that it's not like they have anyone else who's good besides him and Jared Allen and his defensive versatility is huge for them so I I still think Franz has has some pretty good statistics this year and he's been a part of a a magic improvement but I I think I I just feel more comfortable uh with Evan Mobley I rank him better as a prospect too I think he's just I feel more comfortable that he's really contributed to winning basketball this year that's totally fair I'm as listeners would know I had Mobley over Wagner in the prospect rankings but I think Wagner has been a little bit better so far this year and especially when you account for the limited surrounding talent I mean the magic started the season with no guards and so Wagner had to take on a lot of the offensive workload and I thought did a better job than than I anticipated there and he's fit in well defensively doesn't have as much to do has done it reasonably well the third spot is a minefield right now I mean you have a number of guys who aren't quite living can I just vote present I wanted to like Um, we're voting for speaker of the house um, I ended up going with Alpern Shangun. I, I he's been respectable so far this year. I don't, I didn't have him highly in the prospect rankings or anything like that. Like the ceiling, I don't think of his ceiling as high as I think. I think both you and John are probably more optimistic about where Shangun is. Still think he could be a good player. But just nobody's really stood out there. And I like to think of this more as the award of like who's been the more like most outstanding, not who will be the best. And so I went with Shangu. I gave my protest vote to Quentin Grimes. Yeah. Oh, uh, another... I should have done that. I love Quentin Grimes. <laughs> I'm changing it. I'm changing it. Well, yeah, he's just, again, when you look at the on-off metrics, he's one of the few sophomores that's been above the negative this year. And I don't obviously, think, I don't, I don't think I told you that in the, because um, I don't know if you go all the way down in the in the document to my notes from the from the Luca Knicks game. I had, I love Quentin Grimes in it like two or three times on good plays that he made. <laughs> like he's, like Grimes, he's a low usage player offensively. And I don't know that he has the ball skills to be better than that, but I love a guy who does what he does well, and the defensive growth for Grimes is really significant. And, I mean, you a player like Quentin Grimes, especially if he progresses reasonably apace, like, I mean, Seth ta- loves Mikhail Bridges, and I'm not saying those guys are directly analogous, but the lower usage but doesn't screw up very much and then plays consistent defense is just such such a useful archetype for any NBA team. 
Well, I generally try to avoid reading your notes just to keep the conversation fresh, but now I have another reason not to read them. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, and also consider Josh Giddy, Scotty Barnes, Jalen Green. Hard to argue that really any of those have been great contributors to winning this season. With Scotty Barnes, we've talked ad nauseum about his efficiency issues. Josh Giddy is atrocious on defense and has struggled shooting the ball. And Jalen Green is slightly less atrocious on defense than last year but still atrocious and it just hasn't been consistent enough as a scorer i really hope someone is going to come in to and obviously kate cunningham is is off the year and was bad when he played so i i really hope that that, that was actually i think we didn't get a chance to get to this story when we were talking about some of the biggest stories because last year one of our biggest stories is, oh man the 2021 draft is awesome and then this year one of the biggest stories was all oh, it's actually really taking kind of a step back so yeah um let's finish up with the uh, official category actually we have two more official categories but let's go to six man of the year here and this is a another pretty uninspiring group i had larry nance last month uh, but he's missed some time and he was sort of teetering on not having played enough minutes anyway he's only been in the 21 or so minute per game area um but one of my criteria is I want you to be closing games if you're a, a six man and I want you to be having a positive impact. I value that more than just the raw scoring stats, which a lot of people focus on here. And just in that vein, there are not many effective candidates, honestly. No, there are not. And it's worth noting that if you if you care about those sorts of things, the box score, the, the players that do the best in the currently in the like all in one metrics like EPM and Raptor are typically defense first guards. And some of them, like Jose Alvarado and Alex Russo, are, are very good basketball players who are helping out their team. But it's a different kind of case because they're, you know, what they're doing is is important, but they're not really always leading the offense or doing all these other things. So I kind of thought of it as as a couple of different groups. So one of them was that defense first guard, and you can add DeAnthony Melton into that group as well. All of them have done very well this season. Then you have the offense first guards like Alex. Well, the, Melton actually does not qualify. Oh, and he doesn't. He's, at, he's actually started seventy eight percent of oh, their okay. games. Well, it's a good but thing. I, I, I think because he, he, he might have been on here because he started the season yeah. as a bench player. Yes. Um, it's a good thing I didn't have him in my top three then, though I, I love <laughs> uh, Melton. I, I um, might have considered it honestly, uh, but yeah, he's ineligible at the moment. Um, then you have the offense first guards. Like, I mean, you could go to a bunch of different guys. Like, I mean, for those who like who like Jordan Poole's case more than I do, Jordan Poole, Alec Burks, Malcolm Brogdon, and then you have bigs of a couple different flavors like Christian Wood and Larry Nance. Nobody really stands out to me in any of those. Any of those cases, I ended up, I mean, I did a whole 50 to 60 segment on Alec Burks and the effect that he's having on the Detroit Pistons offense. It's still confounding as it was then. So to give the stats on the season so far, it's now a a 113.5 offensive rating. This is the NBA version. When Burks is on 108.2 when he's off, that is one of the larger differences and the largest difference of anybody who like really runs the show offensively for his team. Um, Westbrook is there, but Westbrook's role was complicated because he plays so much with LeBron. Well, well, and, and Westbrook, there's been this idea, oh, like moving to the bench has really worked so much better. Uh, no, he's actually 48.8% true shooting this year. So no, he's not in consideration. 
No, he is not. <laughs> also, I will note Westbrook. I I, I would love to f- to create something that could track this. Russell Westbrook, meaningfully not dramatically, but meaningfully negative in offensive EPM and positive in offensive Raptor, and then positive in defensive EPM and negative in defensive Raptor. So he's flipped on both of those, which is so weird. Like, yeah. I, feel like I, I don't so- like defensive Raptor. I, I really tend to like it's saying Nicole Jokic is the best defender in the league every year. I, I that makes me wary of it. But yeah, I I, th- I think that's fair. And and yeah, Westbrook, I mean, below 50 percent true shooting and the Lakers offense has been good when he's been on the floor. I have not yet pulled the stat. I don't really feel like it of Westbrook on LeBron off. I ended up going Larry Nance one, Alec Burks two, Malcolm Brogdon three. I don't, I mean, if you want to put Christian Wood in there, you want to put one of those defense first guards like Caruso or Alvarado, fine. Yeah, Christian Wood has uh, pretty clearly, I think, been the best offensive player off the bench. Yeah, him and Burks. This year. I'm sorry? Him and Alec Burks. Well, yeah, and Burks has played 26 games now, only 560 minutes, but his impact is just so much higher, and he is by far the best offensive EPM of this group at plus 2.3, and uh, the Pistons are respectable offensively when he plays and absolutely dreadful when he does not. I'm not going to give him a ton of credit for their defense being a lot better when he plays, but uh, they are 11.8 points for 100 better when he is on the floor, and that's uh, the best number out of this group. It just was really hard to find the players who've had a ton of great impact. Jordan Poole quietly is averaging 20 points a game and is uh, league average efficiency his and Jordan Poole total also, usage 42%. Yeah. That's exactly where I was going to go. Um yes, his total usage has been higher and Poole uh, but, is but he kicks the ball all over the gym and yeah, the the Warriors are 10.5 points 100 worse when he's on the floor just on offense. Um, and yeah, he's replacing Steph Curry, but he clearly has not been able to drive their offense. Like they had to move Draymond Green out of the second unit to just so that he would have another player. Like he clearly has not been able to handle point guard responsibilities this year. So that's if he could do that, he, I would feel differently about him. Also, he started forty nine percent of their games, so he's about to be ineligible. So, what was your eventual ballot? Burks one, Nance two, one, number three is Christian Wood. Uh, apologies to Brogdon, Jordan Poole, Ben Matherin, Malik Beasley, Damian Lee, who's actually having a wonderful season off the bench. Norman Powell may figure in this as well. Kevin Love, I, I mean, when you just look at who's been the most effective off the bench, he's up there, but he's only played 590 minutes. And, and again, doesn't total, close. And, and Kevin Love only has a total usage rate of 25.7. Like that's a yeah. lot lower than the offense first guys on this list. Yeah. And Nance still, he does he's averaging 23 minutes a game. He does close games for New Orleans. I mean, there just are not many of these guys even that are closing games at this point. So, well, and then there's the weird duality of Bruce Brown, who is, who I kind of has parts of this case, but is so much better as a starter than as a bench player that I, I firmly believe it violates the spirit of the award to give it to him. <laughs> well, pool that that's the case too. I mean, he's compiled most of his good numbers as a starter. He usually plays poorly as a bench guy. So yeah, pretty, I mean, this is the most underwhelming sixth man crop that I can ever remember at this point in the season. I'll mention that, especially the yay points crowd, but I'm sure there'll be an argument at times for Colin Sexton. He has a, one of the higher roles within his offense and the Jazz do have a, a I believe it's a 118.2 offensive rating when he's been on the floor, especially with his limited playmaking. I just, I'm not quite there. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. 
Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Executive of the year. Number one to me, by a decent margin, is Danny Ainge. And Ainge getting so much for Rudy Gobert in particular. And that, you know, that super valuable cash and investing in the misfortune of especially the Timberwolves, which may end up working out reasonably well. But remember, like one key part of that trade is that the players they got are helping them. Like that, you know, like Walker Kessler was included with that trade. He's been a, a cable back. I mean, he's been there. Jared Vanderbilt is, is playing good minutes for them. Malik Beasley's been great. And so to have all that and yeah, they're not tanking. They're not bad enough right now that they're going to get a really good draft pick. But to I mean, we talked about this in the uh, the kind of the look back on 2022 to argue that as a jazz fan, you are more optimistic now than you than you were a year ago when you traded your two best players is an accomplishment. Yeah, I went actually number one with the, the man who made the trade. With Danny Ainge, and moreover, a managed trade. to probably not probably not the other trade. Yes, yes, a, a big trade. Troy Weaver, no, uh, Kobe Altman, and I think we look at just okay, what was the price acquired to to get Donovan Mitchell? And yeah, they gave up Markinen, but Markinen never would have blossomed to be the level of player that he is in Utah, in Cleveland, with two other forwards there or two, two other seven footers. Just wouldn't have been featured in the same way. I, I don't know that he would have shot the ball the same either. Maybe he would have. Maybe he could have blossomed because he, he's shot so well coming off of the Eurobasket. But nonetheless, I mean, that was, I think the biggest thing about Altman is not only getting down to Mitchell, who looks like he is well worth it so far. Like one of our questions was, what's he going to look like outside of that Utah ecosystem that was really, seemed so conducive to offense? Well, he obviously deserved a, a lot of credit for that and, and He's been great in Cleveland. Cleveland has taken a step forward to be like that trade is the one that seems to have worked so far. And they have a very good foundation for the future. Would I have liked them to be able to retain a little bit more? Yes, but let's keep in mind, they also had to steal Donovan Mitchell from the waiting clutches of the New York Knicks, where he assumed he was going, where he wanted to go. He now seems very happy in Cleveland. And I the price was worth it to me. They're already, I think, if they just stay at this level for the next three or four years, good enough to have justified the trade. And of course, they're young enough to improve quite a bit. And I just, I still, we've given Sam Presti so much love for some of the OKC teardown stuff. And Ainge did it in a way that, you know, particularly that Gobert trade was an absolute fleecing and then getting Markin in. I, you know, I identified a lot of good players to come in. So he was my number two. But I, I think for a guy whose team still did take a step back, I did want to reward Kobe Altman. Uh, and who is your number two? Kobe Altman. So yeah. we, already, we already talked about that. Th- three is less obvious to me. It is. And I ended up going with Jeff Weltman for a couple of different reasons. One, 
one, they drafted the right player at first overall. That is the most important thing. I would argue in some ways that's the most important thing that any general manager did this year, considering how open that was. Chet Holmgren could be awesome. Like maybe maybe we're loving Paolo because Chet isn't playing. Entirely possible. But also some of the other moves on the margin. Retaining their flexibility, some of those signings haven't been fantastic, but they didn't have long-term consequences, and they made a bet on Bull Bull, and that bet is looking very good so far. Yeah, and and re-signing the likes of of Gary Harris and Bamba, we'll see. I I guess Paolo was so obviously number one over Jabari Smith that I, I maybe I just don't give him that much credit for that, but you're right. It was being talked about. People were assuming they weren't going to go that way. I, I do have them lose points just because of the absurdity of the whole process, like keeping it secret with Paolo, uh, although I'm sure uh, the uh, all the draft Knicks uh, love the drama. I actually went with Daryl Morey, number three. I, I think the, the Sixers, D'Anthony Melton is one of the most impactful offseason acquisitions for that didn't go for like a ridiculous price and tucker has been up and down john i actually talked about him today but i I think he's gonna help them in the playoffs in the end and so they didn't have to give up that much to really improve their team a lot they treaded water while all their guys are out now hopefully they're getting healthy and they can go on a run uh but my number four i couldn't quite go there yet to put him in the top three because it's been a bumpy road but sean marks and mm. you know, Josiah has got to be part of that too, to just not trade KD got TJ Warren for a song when it, so many other places I think should have paid him more. Well, well, no, Nate, they traded a first round pick for TJ Warren and then got Royce O'Neal with the, with the trade exception. That's what happened, right? Yeah. yeah O'Neal's been better than expected. Yeah, I would been say a capable part so of the far. rotation. And, and uh, I mean the Kyrie thing, it was a disaster at first, but they did get him to apologize. They got him back in the fold. Yeah, sure. You know, I'm, hiring a suspended coach and then having to walk that back that that, that didn't work too good well, but they, didn't they actually, finally got they to the didn't right actually place hire him it was just well okay a- agree pretty much seeming like they're going to agree to hire I, I i misspoke there obviously but people know what I mean. yeah marx is marx is a good one i hadn't thought as clearly about him but that's totally a credible addition a couple others that i want to mention brad stevens Joe Missoula has done a very good job there. Brogdon's been a, a nice addition. So I, th- I think that, and of course, they've been the league's best team so far. Monty McNair. Now, the Keegan Murray element of this, I'm a little less enthusiastic about than I was before. But another of the most important things that a general manager does is hire a coach. And Mike Brown has done a very good job with the beam team so far. And so I wanted to include him there. And then Kevin Pritchard. I feel like Pritchard is going to move one direction or the other by the trade deadline, and I don't really know which way, but the Pacers have been broadly successful. Ben Matherin has performed over his draft slot like he's been one of the few positive players so far, so he's done well. No, absolutely. Uh, I McNair, the Herder trade, the Monk signing, uh, all pretty good. Uh, yeah, and we'll see on Keegan Murray, a, a pick that I liked at the time, but uh, but considering it is executive of the year, can we just uh, have have it be John Reinhardt? The, that's the name of the guy who actually came up with the idea for the beam. <laughs> Doesn't have to be like a, a, a basketball ops executive, right? It just says executive of the year. Okay, not executive of the year. I have a very clear top three. It's the exact same as it was a month ago. In fact, I, the top two have quite solidified. Number one. And he's basically frozen in carbonite here for the foreseeable future is Tim Conley. Oh, yeah. The 
the amount of treasure that they sacrificed for Gobert, and even though right, Gobert overall, like the the defensive, if we're just talking about the defensive part of it, it has it's my my feelings on it have thought a little bit, but he's owed a lot of money for a long time, the fit issues and everything else, and it was such a spectacularly big bet, and right now it's not working out too well. They also sabotaged their depth for this season because like so many of those guys, Vanderbilt, Patrick Beverly, Malik Beasley would have really helped this team, and that sucks. And so yeah, Connolly won. I I yeah. So I'm inter- so you have so you have a clear number two, and then thus a clear number three. I was sorry. I distracted myself by imagining Mark Lurie trying to come in wearing a, a a helmet and rescue Tim Connolly out of the carbonite, and then the lights coming on as uh, Danny Ainge and like all the players he traded the Jazz are just like sitting there laughing at him. He's trying trying to sneak Tim Connolly out of there. Uh, number two is uh, Travis Schlenk. He's already been mutually agreed to part ways, if, if that's a, a verb now. But it seems pretty clear that they decided to move on from him, and that that Murray trade has not worked particularly well. I it doesn't there hasn't been much about their performance this year that makes me think things are going to improve. So yeah, I, I mean, there's those two huge trades that were made that didn't work. I, I think you gotta focus uh, on those at the moment would schlank be your number two as well yeah schlank would be my number two i have rob palenka third i i believe you might have somebody else there but but um, yeah so so explain to me like what rob palenka has done wrong since the league uh, between the draft uh, the end of the regular season last year and now i don't think they brought in players that were viable defensively and that was an important part of what the lakers yeah. needed to do he didn't well didn't trade west westbrook is an interesting i i that that is a core conceit of it. Yeah. But, you know, like, I, we we are we discussed it at the time, but like I'm not a big believer in a lot of the guys that they got for the minimum. And Lonnie Walker's had a respectable season, but he's only on a one year contract, so you're you're not getting a ton there. But, and but that's good that he's on a one year Be- contract, I think for um, for them because Bever- whether it's, whether we're saying it's Plague's fault or not, Beverly offensively has been an absolute disaster. Yeah. Um, Although THT also not in the rotation now in Utah and sure. has like a 47 percent true shooting. Yeah. So I think part of it is also just. I think Rob Link is a terrible general manager, and so I kind of just want to have him here pretty much every time anyway. Um, uh, yeah, I, I just don't – I mean, obviously, I do think he's terrible. He would be at the – the Lakers were at the bottom of my organization rankings, and I, if I had to just say – which GM would I least want to hire among all of the GMs for my favorite team? It probably would be him, but I just can't, I don't think he's done a particularly below average job as we look at just this time horizon. Obviously, if we could expand that out, I would agree with you. He was a very much well-deserving pick for this award last year. Well, and- uh, I went with Nico Harrison. Yeah, sorry. Sure. I was going to say, it, I know we're not, we don't pick it that way, but like Ginny Buss giving him an extension where that would fall in not executive of the year if we were classifying governors as executives. So yeah, Nico Harrison was my last one. Again, the Jalen Brunson failure to sign him, uh, all that. And yeah, I think the Christian Wood trade is about as good as they were going to do it, particularly when you consider that they got off of complete flots of money in that trade as well and also opened up some roster spots 
So I, that saves it a little bit, but that was just such a fail letting Brunson go. And th- they're playing better now, but that's not really due to anything that he's done so far this year. Maybe maybe the Christian Wood trade will end up being really good. They've been good since Wood's been starting. I, I But I didn't really have any other particularly serious candidates at this point. Maybe as we see how the draft shakes out, some more of those will emerge for not executive of the year. Let's get to biggest surprise player of the season. There's always a difficulty squaring the size of the surprise versus the importance of the surprise because there those can be different things and so you have somebody like bull bull who i wasn't sure was going to be i didn't know was going to be an nba player this year and has been you know a a valued part of the orlando magic rotation that's that's always nice and like i want to give some praise to like nick claxton who i think has been much better defensively this year than i anticipated but my top two and i think you could go with them in either order i ended up going tyrese halberton one shea gildas alexander two both players that i did not expect to have in the all nba conversation this year and i liked both of them as prospects though i had halberton and prospects to watch not even in the top 10 last year and so for me to go from that to an all-NBA consideration, I had him on a team. That's still the biggest surprise to me. Yeah, Tyrese was my number two. Shea was just outside of my top three. I think we we maybe are just getting a little bit too inured to what he's doing. He's fallen off a little bit, obviously, which was to be expected over the last month. Uh, but he still was the guy who had put up these pretty close to these type of stats before. It just we hadn't seen it over this length of time. Lowry Markkinen has to be number one, though. I mean, he's going to be an all-star this year, probably. Just coming out of nowhere, it wasn't even clear that he was like an above-average starter. And he's uh, late enough in his career, this is his sixth season, where you didn't think necessarily there's going to be like some big improvement for him. So I, I, although I I do think maybe he's going to get to the point where he's a little bit overrated and we can't lose sight of where he's been at or where how far he's come this year. That's fair. I just think of All-NBA as a much higher threshold. And so for me, for players yeah. to get in to get in there, I mean, generally getting into the All-NBA guard conversation, it, and it is still a down. It's a huge accomplishment. Like, Larry Markkinen isn't to us in the All-NBA forward conversation, though you could easily argue that we didn't have him as being as likely to make it into the All-Star conversation. So yeah, I'm, those are my top three. So I'm not going to, oh, you have him number one. That's not a big deal to me. Yeah, Brooke Lopez is still my number three. And to be having probably the best season of his career at, at 35 is incredible he's been shooting the lights out this year and bucks have fallen off a little bit but i don't think that's really been due to any issues with him and i, I still throw in some of the other guys that i was really impressed by jason tatum and steph curry taking big leaps forward again bull bull probably just not enough of an overall impact but a guy who's come out of nowhere to be really interesting nick claxton uh alec burks <laughs> boyan bogdanovich somehow getting this pistons offense or respectability that's pretty incredible d'anthony melton is like a shooter now that's a pretty impressive any anyone else you wanted to mention there palo bancaro i had him number mm. one but he's been better than i expected did you mention desmond bain yeah i just uh, because he hasn't played at all he was for the first month of the season but it I just wanted to know whether he could have kept up what he was doing. We haven't yeah. had enough to see that yet. So it's a small enough sample. I wanted to more reward the guys been able to keep it going through this period. Um, and friend of the pod. Because, you know, they're going to feel so good knowing that they're on this list. Of course. And friend of the pod, DeMontis Sabonis. Biggest surprise team, Indiana number one to me now. They've eclipsed Utah. 
they're basically pretty similar preseason expectations. They have a better record. Uh, Utah's number two, Sacramento number three. I have a different team number one than any of those top three, and that's the mm. New Orleans Pelicans because of the factor of how injured they've been. I mean, the Pel- yeah, that's reasonable. The Pels being number plus 4.7, number four net rating, top 10 in offense and defense, one of only, I believe it's one of only three teams as we're recording this that is top 10 in both offense and defense. And, you know, Brendan Ingram has missed a bunch of time. CJ McCollum's missed a bunch of time. Zion is unfortunately now going to miss a bunch of time. So I'm, I'm going to go with New Orleans. I'm fine with your three. They're my next, they're my next three, but I'm going the Pels number one. Yeah, I guess I just felt like, although this wasn't a probable outcome for New Orleans, it was something that I foresaw as a possibility where with Indiana and Utah, I didn't necessarily find that to be the case. Um, most disappointing player. Or sorry, did we skip your your two and your three there? No, that's fine. Biggest surprise team. I mean, it was yeah. it was it was Pacers. I went Pacers, Kings, Jazz, but any of those is fine. Okay. Um, most disappointing team. I want to acknowledge that I, I don't have them number one. That I I mean, you and I both picked Charlotte's over this year, and they are not. <laughs> They're not going over right now. I think they're like nine or 10 games below in terms of 538's projections. So, yeah, they've been injured, but clearly, I think you could say that there's like, no way they would have yeah. fulfilled our lofty expectations, even had they been healthy. Sure. But I, I think especially in part because of the the expectations and what it what it took to get there. It's the Minnesota Timberwolves and Minnesota, by the way, they're so um, dunks and threes, which is the site that does estimated plus minus. They do an adjusted net rating. And the Minnesota Timberwolves are, so that's kind of like strength of schedule and all that type of stuff. The Minnesota Timberwolves are, they're 21st in cleaning the glass. They're 23rd in adjusted net rating this year. Like the idea that they were going, I mean, the idea that they could be disappointing, sure. And they've missed Carl Anthony Towns for more time than I would have liked, but they're, they haven't, they haven't been inspiring. Let's put it that way. And so if we're talking about disappointing, that expectations matter. And so that's, that's the team for me. Yeah, and obviously their internal expectations. I know you thought they were like a lock to make the playoffs. I was a little bit less sanguine, but I thought they'd be winning high 40s. It's not totally insane to me that they could get healthy and play at that level once Towns comes back. Uh, but uh, Atlanta would be number two for me. Just Trey Young playing extremely poorly. The trade hasn't worked. The shooting has been awful. And then actually number three is Toronto. Uh, and maybe they can turn it around here. But to be this bad defensively, I think they're 18th overall in defense and 24th over the last month. And with the the personnel that they have, like, that's just unacceptable. I like that Raptors choice. And especially, like, the feel of things, like, kind of that it it, at times it's been like they're looking they're looking for an or and it just isn't coming from anywhere. That's a classic mark of of a disappointing season. And. Like there, there was a point when the Warriors would have factored more heavily into this conversation, but they've had this win streak and looks like Steph Curry might come back and in the next week or so. So I, I think that they're not quite there. Most disappointing player. I'm still going with Gobert for now. I, I think that the, I mean, some of the defensive stuff has gotten a little bit better, but just his horrendous fit offensively, just still being such a small part there. And in part disappointing, I always, I think sometimes it's fair to incorporate, you know, like the context and that they expected him to be something that he is not Gobert. This is the lowest point total of this phase of his career. This is, I mean, the true shooting has been pretty good, but the lowest usage of this phase of his career as well. And 
especially in the stretch without Carl Anthony Towns, like they need they need more from from him in my eyes than they've gotten. So when you consider everything else, there are a lot of there are a number of other credible candidates. But when you factor in what they needed from him, I, I'm going to say he's most disappointing, not worst, just most disappointing. <sighs> Yeah, my top three, Chris Paul, number one, Rudy Gobert, number two, Scotty Barnes, number three. I have Barnes number two. Yeah. I mean, Chris Paul's below league average true shooting right now. The Suns are 7.6 points for 100 possessions worse with him on the floor. Uh, and just to, maybe he can continue to play better. He obviously missed time with this foot issue as well. He's been a little bit better since then. A uh, few other ones, Trey Young. Ben Simmons, I hope that he could at least get back to the level he was at in 21. I, I don't think that's going to be the case. He's been out of the rotation so long, you almost forget that JaVale McGee was signed to be the starting center yep. for the Mavs this year. I have him on my list, too. John Collins hmm. suddenly just is like complete afterthought on this team, but he also hasn't been efficient in the chances he's gotten. I, I have the entire Denver bench. <laughs> Not Vlako Chanchar, baby. Uh, not not Vlako. And and Bruce Brown has had has had some good moments. I mean, Evan Fournier, not only is he out of the rotation, negative 3.6 EPM in the time that he actually did play this year. And I still love Reggie Bullock as a player, but he is converting 35% of his shots from the field so far. Yeah, he lost his starting spot to Hardaway. He usually plays better in the starting lineup. A few others here. Uh, Kendrick Nunn, remember him? Not really. Russell yeah. Westbrook has somehow been worse statistically than he was last year. R- Russell Damian West- Jones. Russell Westbrook being in a, being in the most disappointing player and also winning sixth man of the year would be such a fun duality. Oh, man. The, the, I would say sixth man is the category I've most often disagreed with the voters on. Over. I don't know that I've ever picked the same person as them. Oh, no, I think I had a hero last year. I mean, what was it? Jamal Crawford winning it over Andre Iguodala on the 73 win Warriors. And that's when I was just like, this is, I, I can't do this anymore. Um, yeah, so I mentioned Damian Jones. Uh, the three Miami Heat finds as shooters gave Vincent, Max Drews, and Duncan Robinson just haven't been able to hit shots this year, which has been disappointing. Um, it's a lighter disappointment, but Carl Anthony Towns, I mean, 60, like, he's lower usage than before, though in part that's just the flow of the offense. Like, it just hasn't been quite as impactful. James Wise. Oh, well, hopefully, yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll see. I think that it's too bad. Of course, he got injured again, which right. is disappointing. But I, I thought he was actually starting to get towards respectability in those few games that he played before him. All right, that'll do it here. We, we didn't miss anything, did we? We done? I think so. <laughs> done enough. This is always such a marathon. But uh, thanks so much again for being subscribers. Uh, if you are listening on the public pod, uh, please consider being a subscriber. You can get Hondra and Duncan. You can get Seth Partnos stats, which we talked about so amply here and his writing you can get dan feldman's daily dunks uh, either in written form uh, or in your podcast player it's about a eight or nine minute summary of the biggest news of the day five days a week uh, as well and of course danny and me five days a week in your ears thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to y'all next time at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.